in a mega deal, well, in all types of sales, but of course, especially in a mega deal where a lot of the future success of the company, of the client is in your hands. Transparency is key. Transparency in everything you do is key because trust is key. Welcome to the next episode of the Mega Deals podcast with myself, Bora, and me, David Kladborg. Today we have a gentleman who is joining us via link. He started his career as an engineer and could never imagine going into sales. But after being hurled into a mega deal as an engineer by his boss when working for Cap Gemini, he actually ended up loving being part of the orchestration. And the rest is really history. He's gone on to have a really strong career within sales and has done multiple mega deals. He today leads the global sales team at Society, which is Cap Gemini owned company, across 13 markets and a team of 400 people. We're so pleased to have on link today, Jimmy Anderson. Welcome. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. So, it would be really interesting for the listener to know who they are listening to. So, Jimmy, could you share a bit about yourself? Oh, of course. So, so I'm Jimmy Anderson. I'm uh, I'm 40 years old, two kids, not to forget one, one, three, one, six. Uh, you know, keeps me keeps me occupied. Professionally, I'm um, I'm head of sales for Sujeri. Uh, Sujeri is part of the Capgemini Group. So we're about 15,000 people, 13 countries. And that also keeps me busy, but on the more on the professional side of things. Um, and of course, uh, being in COVID uh, lockdown, I'm usually my, my favorite place is seat aisle 16C. Now it's, uh, <laughs> now it's in my home office doing nothing but uh, doing these types of calls. So that's, uh, that's an interesting part of life. So that's me. Short background. So when you say head of sales, you are head of global sales, right? Yes. So it's it's for all 13 markets, correct? The Swedish is humble. Yes, yes. So all 13 countries, yeah. yes. And how big is your team? So we have around 400 to 450 salespeople. But then, of course, the, the correct answer to that question is that all 15,000 people should be salespeople. And uh-huh. uh, I say the one that the one are designated salespeople are, are around 400 people. Okay, cool. So... Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, this is the Mega Deals podcast, and and uh, you have a, a a great track record of doing Mega Deals. T- tell us a little bit about how you got into Mega Deals. How how, do, how did you end up doing these big deals? Well, the origin comes from loving to to well, not sell things really, but to fix issues. You know, it's it's the drive to fix issues that that drives sales. So if someone would have told me twenty years ago that uh, Jimmy. You know, in engineering school, you will have a you will have a good career in sales. I would tell them, "Shit, you're not. I will not have that. I'm an engineer. That's that, that's that's who I am." <laughs> but but uh, that's the same driving force, right? It's the engineering of things to solve things. So that's really what what drove me into sales to fix things for my client, and also to to see things uh, develop. 
So I, I think you know th that's really the story from going to wanting to solve issues, solve problems, to to solve bigger problems, to solve bigger issues, and with that create more value. So, so it's not like when I was five, my dream was to sell mega deals. <laughs> it was more, I've, I've always been, you know, wanting to fix things and, and wanting mm -hmm. to see things grow. And then the issues have just been greater and greater. So, so I think that led me into that course. Uh, I listened to Seth Godin the other day. It was actually yesterday. Mm -hmm. and, and Bora and I were a bit nerdy, so, you know, uh, we we don't we don't look that much at Netflix. We, we we look into YouTube and follow the ones that we think have something to say in marketing and sales and so forth. But Seth Godin said something amazing. He got a question actually from a guy in the audience asking. So I have two kids back home. I having homeschool for them. So what are the two main things or three main things that I should think about? What should I learn my kids? And he replied, it's only two things you have to focus on. It's to fix complicated problems, as, as you say, fix things, and then lead people. If you, can, if you manage those two, you can do pretty much everything. You will succeed in whatever you do. Did so, he have any advice for the rest of us? No. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who attended the normal school. Yeah. yeah. If we can't fix things and lead people, what do we do? Uh, I don't know. I don't have a podcast. You need to have someone who creates <laughs> the issues as well, right? So. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, oh, yeah. That's I, I can one. be the issue creator. Yeah. That you guys can then fix. That's brilliant. That's like much. normal. David tends to uh, clean up my messes. <laughs> It's, it's, um, it's actually Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no. I think it's a great. No, no, David, it's it's a brilliant. Um, it's really great. And Seth Godin's a is a smart man. So one thing that's interesting for our listeners to understand is there are many out there that are interested in you know going into sales, but also you know doing big deals. So it's interesting to understand to career path. So you, obviously you have an engineering background, and you had a passion to fix things. Um, but how did you go from engineering background? Just kind of walk us through your career path. How you, what, how, what steps did you go through to get to doing these big deals, and, and how did you end up there? So, so, um, well, it's it's um, so I'm I'm from a part in in Sweden called Karlstad where the sun always shines. So that's uh, that's a saying <laughs> about the city, right? And and uh, my my career started in Ericsson. Ericsson was big here, and. And I uh, did a lot of engineering there, maybe two, two, three years. And then I was uh, I was part of the Capgemini organization already at that time. And then one day, you know, I, I, I the same thing. I saw a lot of a lot of problems and issues that I thought I could I could fix and help and help them to grow. And and one of those days, my my manager in, in Capgemini told me that, hey Jim, I, I you you should be a sales guy. So uh, sorry. Sales, no, and um, and then I and he, and then he said to me, I I need I need a support from you. There's a deal going on in in, in Ericsson in your area, so I want you to support. So I, I I did that, but much more from a technology point of view. But I I got understanding that wow, I really like this. This is so fun, and that got uh, you know that really the the energy uh, coming. So 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 that was really the the start of it, and then from that point of view. Um, my 
one one aspect of my career is I've I've always been in the Capgemini group. So I've, I've been here for many, many years, but it's it's always given me new challenges. So I I saw things very locally here in in the, the smaller part of Karlstad, Adamland, started there. And but it was a very good schooling because what these small communities uh, really show you is the importance of relationships. That you know, if you compare the small, small city of Kolsta, 90,000 people, and you, you compare it to Stockholm or Paris or New York or whatever, if you screw up here, the whole town will hear about it in two days. Super simple. So your relationship and your credibility is everything. So, so really understanding that was really a good part of the, the journey for me. And then I, I managed our office in, 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 in Stockholm for a while. And that was, of course, another ball game. And, and from that took over um, the whole, whole Sojari Sweden in, part, in terms of our portfolio, how we go to market with the portfolio, and, and how we sell larger deals. So that's really where that, that journey started. And then, then going from there, closing a couple of good deals, and then progressing more to a global role, and then taking care of, of all sales in, in Sojari. So, uh, that was uh, uh, 18 years, very summarized. Wow. And, and can you just describe uh, what type of deals you do at the moment, both size-wise, but also complexity-wise? What, what do the deals look like? You don't have to name the deal, but just kind of expl- just kind of walk through what does the mega deal look like in your world? But <clears throat> I, I think that it's a very interesting question, by the way. So, of course, one answer could be that I would say that we have, in the terms of larger deals, we have deals ranging between, let's say, our sweet spot being, let's say, 5 to 50 million euros in that range. Uh, however, there's a more complex answer to that question, I believe, because we're seeing, we're seeing our, our customers sh- sh- changing also their buying behavior to more moving into an agile setup. So, I mean, of course, there are mega deals uh, in the market, no question about it, and we're trying to hunt and win them, for sure. However, there is also larger transformative programs with our clients, first moving to a much more agile way of doing things, and then um, partnering with one or, or several partners like us, embarking on that journey to try to uh, you know, speed up delivery and time to market. So. So that means that, yes, we have these uh, mega deals or large deals that we're pursuing in more or less of a standardized uh, or traditional manner. Uh, however, we're trying to you know, be better and better introducing ABM and all other types of things to win. But we're also pursuing another type of partnerships, you know, um, size-wise, equally important. So it's both these partnerships uh, being that transformative partner uh, to our clients, but also chasing those mega deals. Long answer, but I think there's a difference and a shift going on in the markets. And it's the shift also to become more of a long-term partner than just selling hours on a part of a project. I think that that's part of that's part of it. Um, so of course that partnership means that that there's a there's a a, a transformative part in how you work. That you need to be more agile, and you need to club business and IT together. You need to deliver faster, and you need to be more in line what uh, what is working on their market with their consumers and customers. And, and you need to tighten that time to market for every delivery you do. And that's 
that's not just your IT products, that's your whole landscape. So I think I think it was I think it was Satya uh, Nadella who said it once, but I think he repeated it from someone else that every company is really a software company right now. If you look at if you look at traditional companies like um, like Husqvarna, we are proud proud supplier to Husqvarna. I mean, look at their journey. Look like just 10, 10 to twenty years back and where they are today. With the amount of software they have in their products is amazing, and how they interact with U.S. consumers. I guess you all have the the, the best, the cool, the four-wheel drive lawnmower at your home, and you have this app that you can adjust and do whatever you want. So every company is a software company. Yeah, mine is called Buffy, actually. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. And, and and it was so funny uh, last night. Uh, my youngest Hugo is turning thirteen. He, he first kissed me. I was outside, um, um, you know, um, pushing the button for him to start. He, he's been, to, you know, was sleeping the whole day. So he was lawning <clears throat> during the during the night when we slept. And um, so first Hugo came up and gave me a hug and, and kissed me. Good night. And then he said, good night, Buffy. <laughs> that's, the, that's the lawn machine. <laughs> I think. So, yeah, it's one of our pets. Yes, yes. Yeah, sorry. Oh, uh, my, 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 mine is Batman, so it's uh, it's uh, more or less the same. Oh, cool. Yeah, brilliant. Buffy and Batman, <laughs> the lawn mowers. Actually, should we talk about Buffy and Batman? No. Okay, that's another episode. <laughs> that's another episode. Um, so, um, so, so Jimmy, you've you've read the Mega Deals book, and you know we obviously had a chat, and we're happy that you found the book very relevant to what you do. But do you want to just you know when you look at these? in your experience of doing these mega deals, um, what would you, do you want to just kind of pick out and share what are some of the key uh, kind of factors that really, you know, um, that that identifies, differentiates a mega deal? And and more importantly, what would you say are the two or three really important things? It's like the key most important things to, um, to get a mega deal right, to orchestrate a mega deal. First of all, the book is great, but you've already heard that a couple of times, I'm sure. Um, but the book is great. Uh, there was one piece um, that resonated very well with me, and was the section on 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 um, risk mitigation. Because because if we just dive a little bit deeper into risk mitigation and what it's all about, um, when you ask me about my career, I I started hearing calls with relationships, right? If you screw up one thing. Uh, your reputation is screwed up, and then you don't get any more deals. It's it's sort of the same here, right? So so with risk mitigation, and you clearly point that out in the book, which is very good. It's about transparency, uh, because um, in a mega deal, well, in all types of sales, but of course, especially in a mega deal where a lot of the uh, future success of the company of the client is in your hands, transparency um, is key. Transparency in everything you do is key. Because trust is key, and 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 being upfront with the risks you see, how you intend to mitigate them, and also be transparent when you can't, you know, or when you see, you know, I, I have uh, I have these uh, n number of identified risks, dear client, and and this is how we want to mitigate them. These four or five risks, I think we need your support into creating a more efficient mitigation plan. You know, you can always say that we've done this and this and that client, but I think you can might be special in this, you know, full transparency, not just in, in risk mitigation. I think that's the most vital part, but in all, all things you do around the deal. So, so, 
so what really resonated with me was again the risk mitigation, the word on transparency, and how that creates trust. Real trust, not trust just to sell something, but real trust where where you have your your as a salesperson, you have your delivery team, and they will live with the client for the next five to ten years, uh, really achieving what you have promised. So I, I think relationship and risk is 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 very very important to to for for the client to feel that you are transparent and so that they can see that also that you're transparent also to achieve trust so so that's a very important part I, I, you absolutely nailed it and i think we've interviewed so many mega dealers um and everyone says the same thing you know uh, apart from the importance of risk but just the connection you're making jimmy between being transparent because we, a mistake we see a lot of people make sales and professionals uh, marketers make is that as soon as um, first, they don't talk about risk, which is a big mistake. Secondly, when the client brings it up, they go into sell mode, right? Rather than, you know, this kind of transparent mitigate risk mode, right? Um, and, and if you go into sell mode, you actually get the opposite effect. You kill trust, right? Whereas if you go into this, I love the way you talk about uh, transparency and kind of uh, authenticity and, and just be very honest. I, I, I mean, I, uh, David and I obviously had the privilege of doing many mega deals and I can honestly... Um, uh, I can honestly relate to how so many deals were closed because of that. I mean, I can relate to a case in, in Iceland when we were uh, at MoneyGram and, and we were looking to, to sign a, um, a, a quite a big chain of retail. They were kind of like um, 7-Elevens. They're actually called 10-Eleven. Um, and they'd never done money transfer before, right? And we were kind of selling this kind of uh, service of money transfer. And they loved all the upside of the revenue it'd bring and the footfall it would bring. But it was like, for them, it was just too big a risk. They wouldn't do it. And it was only when we managed to actually explain, mitigate, and put things in place that would really feel them comfortable with making that decision around risk that they actually decided to work, to do it. And it's, um, and we talk a lot about that value brings you through the door, but it's risk mitigation that closes the deals, right? Um, yeah. So it's uh, so relate. Yeah. And I'm, I also have to add that the, the more experienced I got, the more confident uh, I was talking about the risks and also be more transparent. Uh, I, I remember er, in my early years uh, as a salesperson, I I couldn't really take criticism from, uh, about my product. So I, you know, I, I loved my product, and if some anyone said something about it, I want to go into a defense mode instead of. You know, listen, learn more, ask more questions to really find out the, so what, what is really the pain here? Uh, and that, I, I created that uh, along the way with, with years of experience. But do you think you can, you can learn um, that in a process to um, work with, you know, risk and, and um, to mitigate, how to mitigate that? Is that something you work with your team? Yes. So, so one risk because yeah, that relates to to your your statement there. Because what I when I was more in, in junior sales and and the clients started to talk about risks with me, I always felt that I've I've failed. Because if I haven't sold good enough, so that they still see risks, then I must have failed, right? Which is <laughs> entirely untrue. Still, that was very true for me at that time. So, so I think that. Um, you guys and, and myself, you know, having done this for a couple of times, 
we we all we we usually now also end up in some coaching roles, right? And I I I believe that um, every time I, I go into and reviewing a, a deal, one of my first questions, just you know, first of all, of course, what, what the value proposition and all those uh, those things. Um, my my myself are very hold and trained, so, so that I you know the, the fox and all those things. That that's in the core. Of, that, that's my it's my core of how, how I approach a deal. Uh, but, but coming from that, looking at the risk section and also showing the importance as a coach that it's important and that we're, you're very professional about it. I, I remember one deal I, I did um, with, with a very, very Swedish company that were going, they, their, their history came from, they did everything in Swedish. Um, you know, they, they even had, you know, were trying to have all the software architecture, everything should be in Swedish. and. And they wanted to go on a transformational journey, go more to a distributed, agile, distributed teams all over the world. Of course, they wanted to tap into more talents in India and other things, and I wanted to improve time to market. And and this was not a, a big deal as such. They wanted to do a start, so, so maybe it was five, five million euros, some, somewhere around there. And and uh, I, I remember um, the, the the sales pitch. Of course, they've selected four or five uh, competitors to ours, so we were already qualified. And and the the whole sales process was 80% about risk, of course, risk to their people about this transformation. What would it do to them? Would they still be motivated? Who would leave in an outsourcing, especially going out to going over to 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 us? What would that mean? How would how would uh, they 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 have an aura of being very local? So how would that change? And and really looking into many many other aspects than actually this deal. So. So again, a, a long, long answer, but but risk is important, and I, I believe as as sales coaches, you need to ensure that the team is very serious about it. They have a, a serious aspect of it, and also be again be transparent to the client. I mean, think of the think of the value it would say to the client if you say to the client that that oh this risk I don't know, I, I, we need to work on it. You know, not being forced to give quick answers, just saying. Well, we understand this risk. This is a very key risk. Let's go back to you know, with the team to discuss it. We'll have some other references. We'll talk about it with them, and they will come back to you. The strength of that message, if you do it with self-confidence, can be winning the deal because they, our client also knows that there are no, there are no, uh, um, you know, s- s- super approaches. There are always pros and cons, and being transparent with them on the risk sites will lead to a, a better conversation. I'm, I'm absolutely sure. So th- there's one thing to talk about risk in a face-to-face meeting. It's in a way harder, I believe, to to do it in, in a, to a bigger audience mm. or targeted to a specific audience by via different tactics, right? Like IP targeted ads, etc. Uh, how do you how do you do that in in such a tea? No, but but that's a that's a really good good question because you're right in a one to one or at least when you have them in a confined space so you can control the the faces and the expressions it's uh, not that easy but it's easier. Um, so mm. so what we a couple of examples that we have done, of course you you see in the conversations if there are risks coming up again and again and again and again. That means probably 
they're not 100% confident with the answer you give, and they're not 100% confident with the answers that everyone else is giving either. So what we are trying to do then, to more again, I, you also write in the book about consensus, right? So we're trying to look at, um, and that's the uh, fantastic things about being in a big group. You know, Gemini is about 280,000 now after we acquired Altron. So, so there is almost nothing we haven't done. So what we try to do is take those one to two or th maximum three risks, convert them into something that we have proven value of, you know, we have done before, and articulate that, you know, very closely, so that it's um, it gives a message of of some uh, some transformation or whatnot we have achieved, and we we post that you know IP ads or or other things. Uh, we are really also Fantastic. now on that ABM discussion. You can see ABM could be LinkedIn and other things, but uh, how, how can you use airports? How can you use other aspects, right? Uh, in in really big deals that you can be everywhere. But but that's uh, looking at the main risk, converting them into uh, we have proven our value somewhere else. Uh, if we're really lucky, it's in the same sector. Otherwise, we need to juggle it around a little bit. But and having that as a basis of our our ads and ABM. Fantastic. And I think there's a great segue to, uh, you were talking about ABM, mm -hmm. right? Um, and uh, I, I can, uh, you know, confess a little story of my own. And that is, you know, and I think we're the same generation, even though you're younger than, five years younger than me, Jimmy. Um, I, I put us, uh, apologies, but I'm putting us in the same generation. Uh, you know, David and I, obviously, having done all of these mega deals, we come from the, I call it the old school of sales, right? Where, you know, we were doing a lot of the stuff that's written in the book, but I think an area that David and I were not doing as much um, then is using some of these, um, uh, you know, digital tactics like social selling, like IP targeting, like um, webinars. Uh, uh, webinars. So, so podcasts. It, it, exactly. It's how you take the message that you're giving in a meeting, whether it's around risk or any other type of message, turn that into really good content and then push it out through different types um, uh, of digital tactics. And, and I can honestly say that when David and I started doing this, um, uh, obviously with a lot of um, uh, coaching from Christopher, who's, who's brilliant at this, but when we started doing this over the last year, it's been absolutely mind-blowing when you take you know, the, the experience that we've built up around the old school sales and you build on top of that uh, these digital tactics, it really kind of, it boosts how you, it, you scale your sales and marketing in a way that's mind blowing. So you kind of come from a, um, a similar generation, uh, of old school sales. How are you, how are you kind of, A, what do you think about these kind of, you talked about ABM tactics, but you know, digital tactics and how are you adopting to that? To, to those kind of things. What's your view on that, Jimmy? No, but it's interesting. Um, old school or dinosaur, you know, it <laughs> depends on which setting you want to do. But I think you touched an important topic because there's an there's an aspect. Again, if we're if we're moving into we have the agile transformation, we changes buying behaviors, we changes how you set up partnerships. Um, you're you also have an, an age transformation going on, right? So you have the digital natives who are now really coming into the professional life and being part of the uh, team that we are to influence. If we are seen in our messaging and, and, 
and how we come across as dinosaurs were dead. So, so that means, well, I'm not really sure what that means to be honest, but I'm trying to find out because what type of, because when we, at least, no, I should, I, when, when I talk about ABM and, and those types of messaging, I, I might think of LinkedIn. Yeah, some, some, I think of IP advertising. I may be thinking about uh, scaling that also to a physical uh, airports and whatnot, depending on this. The, so, so all those things, but okay, so, so that's all good. And I agree with you. That's a scale that in old school, we, I, I couldn't even imagine when doing deals for 15 years ago. But, but, but <clears throat> what does that now mean, digital natives are part of the professional life in very key roles? And how do we interact with them? And, and, and what does that mean? You, you have all types of tools today, but they're developing extremely fast. And also the type, the messaging you, you connect to them and, and how we're perceived there. And then you have all the connections down also to the CSR perspective and the purpose, which is getting more and more important because I believe our customers is also looking for companies, partners with the same purpose. So, and then the purpose message becomes more and more important uh, when you go down in ages. Um, so all that is in one way, a, a really fantastic, the perfect storm, right? So the tools are developing, the way we interact with tools are developing, the, 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 the purpose statement and why are we here? Why are we here to do business? Um, all of that together is a very interesting part the next uh, five, 10 years, I believe. Uh, so one is, of course, exactly as you said, keep an eye on doing those things as ABM might be advertising, uh, um, tailor the message and the messaging framework accordingly to the deal and to your strengths. And, and the, 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 I think the risk aspect is important, transparent, and then uh, connecting it with, with uh, proven value. But then again, um, have a very close eye to what's being the, what's going on. I think we can be fast outrun by by smart companies coming from a, a younger foundation than we are. So, so one amazing story is that we um, have our messaging, we create content around that, and we push it through tactics at, at Mega Deal. So, for example, we push it through, of course, LinkedIn. We do IP targeting, but we're also doing webinars and a podcast like the one we're doing now, where you know we are taking the message, which is knowledge and thought leadership about deal orchestration. We're turning it into an interview, which is the content we're doing at the moment. And then we're pushing it through a podcast. And we signed a deal um, two weeks ago where the, the, the person was actually listening to one of our podcasts and he owns a company and he said, oh my God, this is exactly how my team need to be doing deals. And he reaches out to us and within two weeks we had a deal closed, right? Now, this is, for me, this is mind-blowing, right? I mean, I, I would never have operated like this, um, to your point, 15 years ago. But it, and, and we can give you tons of examples that when you get the right message, that's not talking about the benefits and features of your products, but that's driving thought leadership that engages people, right? Again, back to your point about tailoring the message and then putting it into different types of digital tactics and pushing it out, how you can actually pull your audience towards you is mind-blowing. David, the, the example I was thinking about was when you visited one of our clients and you walked in, and everybody knew you. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens quite often. And it was quite mind-blowing when I was invited to a party that was held by a company who just moved into to new facilities. And I walked into the party and 
the girl who met me in reception said, oh, welcome, David. I don't think you need a name tag that everybody else had because everybody here knows you. And I literally know one there. That, that That's one thing. I, I think it's even cooler when you step into a meeting and you can be 100% focused on helping the customer with their pains and ask them a lot of questions. I don't, I've, I don't have to tell them anything about what we do because they already know and they ask me questions out of the research. So when you can create that effect ahead of a meeting and then also post the meeting, I think you have won a lot because you, then you can focus every cell in your body on, on the, that customer to really understand and to really help and, and gain even more knowledge by asking the right questions, right? So, so Jimmy, how are you integrating some of these new tactics into into your deals when you're orchestrating these deals? Um, and you're a bigger team. Yeah. <laughs> and your team, yeah. yeah so so I can, I can give you a, a, a personal experience first and then I can go to more global scale. But um, this was, uh, maybe this was seven years ago, sort of. Um, so, so um, we we wanted to do um, in in Sajari Sweden at that time. We wanted to do a push on our capabilities on digital presence. How can we how can we improve the digital presence? I, and you know, digital at that time were ooh, really cool. Um, so we wanted to 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 show show that to clients. And we had a we had a target list of let's say ten, 10 large accounts that really. Here we know we want in on those accounts with those capabilities, and we have some good reference. You know, we had the foundation to create success, but but um, it's about creating that first contact and and coming with some credibility. Exactly, you want that your room there, right? You you want your room where you are known, where you uh, everyone says your name, and you don't need to prove anything. You've already proven. Exactly. You want your mm. room. So so we said, okay, let's try to create that room. And and we we um, we started uh, very early with those. Uh, we did this on, tried with LinkedIn uh, early version um, of, of that. I, I think there was a sales navigator as well. Not sure, but but uh, we we did a, a a very directed campaign towards those accounts, and and uh, we had one one account which really was that's the favorite. That's the number one. That's the the, the blue white whale whatever. That's the one, and. And um, so we went a couple of weeks. We tried, not really good success. And then I got a call. And this is a true story. I, I got a call from exactly that client, exactly the person that I've, I've been trying to reach, right? Had uh, that digital presence and, and saying, except not, maybe not entirely your room experience, but, but close to, you know, saying, you know, we, we want to reshape our digital presence. I've, I've seen your, your very good. Uh, you know, we, so we want a a, a a meeting next week. Can you come? So on, so on. And and that was that meeting was an eye opener for me in the whole ABM thing because uh, again they've they've really engaged with our material. So we had a couple of point of views. We had a couple of best practices, and so we tried to balance between giving good content and inspire, right? And and we went into the conversation with them, knowledgeable about us, what we have been doing, and our point of views and wow. how we want to do that. And and uh, so it took us uh, maybe four to six weeks, and we closed the, the first deal. And it was you know sizable. Let's say it was um, four, four or five million euros on in four or five weeks. You know I was amazed. 
so that's when I really got got hooked on the whole thing because the, the opportunities mm. are endless. You just need the right strategy. You, you need um, well, you need the right strategy, right content. You need to know the the, the stakeholders. So you do it targeted, and you need to have a lot of luck. But the luck is of course important. We can of course say it's fantastic strategy now in arrears, but uh, a lot of luck. Like Ingemar Stenmark said, the more I train, the luckier I get. For sure. So there is a <laughs> there is a correlation between the two. For sure. So, so Jimmy, I, I kind of I, I love how you're explaining this, and I think your example is brilliant. So, so that your team around the world, uh, I mean, you've got quite a big team, um, and I understand not all of them are doing big deals, but. Um, uh, how are you integrating those type of tactics? So I'm assuming you have some accounts and each account has some kind of a, 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 a you know, account strategy where ABM is a part of that. Um, and so how are you getting your team to, because it, it, we see a lot of companies struggle here, uh, Jimmy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because because there's this, we're in this transition period today where, you, you know, a lot of teams are trying to make the transition between the old school and the new world. Mm of where sales and marketing are actually much more integrated mm. um, rather than working in silos uh, to be able to do exactly what you said, which is uh, which is do these orchestration plans mm. where uh, both the physical and digital touch points are much more in the plan and where mm. sales and marketing need to work much more together. Mm. So we see a lot of people struggling around this. No. So it'd be great to hear, what are you, you're obviously a believer in this and you're actually a doer of this, so, which is music to our ears. What are you? What kind of steps are you taking to integrate that into your team? I believe that there is a preparation phase here that needs to be um, well worked through, so to say, because I think the, the mistake you can do is looking at the ABM and all of those tools and fantastic tools, you can go to them too soon. So so first of all, you need to have a, a, a groundwork in who you are. So who, who are Sujari in terms of positioning? Who do we want to be? So first of all, mm. of course, we need a clear portfolio, right? And we need to break that down into understandable pieces, how we solve and acceler- accelerate our customers, how we solve their issues and how we make them accelerate. So, so we need to, to talk about the portfolio, how we work with AI and whatnot. So that's key, right? Mm. Uh, we need the content to back that up and we need the references, the material, you know, the story. The story needs to be there. And then we need to 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 also look at ourselves and who do who 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 do we are who are we so so we we did that exercise a, a couple of years ago saying that that we want to position ourselves as value makers so we focus on doing doing so so value is in the making so let's do learn and act like you know we want to perceive as as agile fast fail fast do. So it's okay. So first, the, the, the platform in, in your portfolio, in your messages, in, in your content is key. Who, who you are, so you have that groundwork done. Then you come into spreading the word, so to say. And then you, you need to go into both a geographical point of view and an account point of view. So, so Sujeri, we have 100, 100, around 100 offices around the world in those 13 countries. And... and um, 
Sujari and Capgemini are part of the same group. However, we are two different brands because Sujari is positioned as more of the local, close to you kind of a company. So, so of course, then you need a strategy for for every office because it's important because we are part of that community. Again, community and purpose is is key, right? So you need that geographical position on ABM. So. If you're looking for in Gothenburg um, the best partner for your AI journey, well, then you have Sujari. Mm. And then, of course, you need an account structure to that. But then the account structure is needs to be, um, you know, rooted in the same positioning around the portfolio and around who we are. But then you need a, maybe a sector touch to that. And how do we want to accelerate that account? How do we want to be known at that account? Maybe a little bit of ranting, but the portfolio is important. The messaging on who you are is important. And then for us, it's important to have two structures, one geographical one. Uh, we want to be close to our clients. And then you have an account structure to support that. And that, that, that's really the, the framework or the frame that we are working in. And then, of course, the tools can be, can be different, right? On the account, you probably have a Q1 plan. You come down to the real details. Q1 is all about cloud transformation on that account. Okay, how do we back that journey into ABM? And what's, what kind of stories do we want to push? What's the, what's the type of these conversations we want to push? What's the best practices? And so on, so on, so on. So you put What distribution plan. tactics are you going to use, mm. et cetera? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, so then you have the Q1 plan. And then on the Q1 plan, you have the, the meetings and all those things. So that's how you build it up. And then, of course, uh, some things will fail and burn miserably. For sure, um, but, but some things will will uh, progress, and 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 then of course it's, it's important that you keep keep looking, you know, uh, looking at your statement and your positioning and and revamping that uh, from time to time. Do you know if there is a market that uh, is ahead of the game compared to the other ones? For example, the Nordics markets. Are you more advanced in enterprise social selling, IP targeted ads, etc. The rest of the world that was a good uh, question uh i think the u.s is far uh, i know you have peter for example you have peter in marketing here in sweden he, he's he's a believer in in this way of working yeah and, and maybe you have also some sales people that are you know driving this kind of behavior more than yeah than others yeah but could you say that it's a specific market or not no but i, I would i would say that that um, yes the nordics is you know, in a good position. Uh, however, I I still believe that U.S. is ahead. Um, mm -hmm. So our U.S. operations, I must say, are they impress me daily? Uh, how they? But what they impress me about is is really on on the 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 um, total usage of it. So every salespeople use it. It's you know uh, how they engage with new clients using Sales Navigator, LinkedIn, all the tools in their toolbox, um, I don't see that in any other country. Uh, then, then you can have pockets of, you, you, you mentioned Peter in uh, part of each organization is fantastic and very, very deep and uses that in a fantastic way. But again, if you look at a, a high adoption, the US stands out. Mm. Okay, interesting. Jimmy, thanks for that example. It was um, really clear. I love the way that you've talked about you know, your transition to, to, to these digital touch points and how you use account-based marketing when you're approaching, approaching your deals. And I love the way you talk a lot about the messaging and the purpose, because that really is, 
we, we say that the messaging is the glue that holds the orchestration together. You know, without it, the orchestration falls apart, right? Um, and, and I can hear that in, in, in how you're talking about this, how important you keep saying the messaging and the right messaging for the right customer at the right time, and we can't agree more. So um, that's really great. Okay, um, I, I think we should start wrapping up, Jimmy. We've talked about two really big, big areas and kind of deep dived into them. One of them is around risk mitigation, and the other one is about, um, you know, how you orchestrate through both more the digital touch points and how you've integrated that into your business. So it's been really, really valuable and, and great for the listeners. Um, uh, as, as we start to, to round off, we, we tend to also ask, uh, obviously you've read the Mega Deals book and we appreciate the feedback, but is there any other book that you would like to, that you've read that's really influenced you around sales, marketing, personal development, leadership, whatever, that you'd like to share with the listeners and say, yeah, that 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 they should put on their book list. Good question. Um, and while you're thinking about that one, we also want to know if you have another mega dealer to recommend for the podcast that you would like to listen to. That 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 that's maybe even harder. But the the book one. Yeah. Uh, oh, I I can't. Uh, so so uh, uh, two two seconds uh, input to that. So I'm I'm married to a Swedish teacher. So what she keeps mm. me reading are really the classics. So every time I get, uh, you know, a couple of days off, she hands me one of these uh, Dostoevsky or something else. So that's what I wow. read. Wow. <laughs> so that's some heavy stuff. That's some heavy, but they are fantastic. No, but they are fantastic. You should, yeah. uh, you should make sure you yeah, take off all the classics. So do, do uh-huh. when you read, do a classic. So let's, uh, I, I'll do that and mm. I'll come back to you on the, the, um, on the mega yes, dealer. Yeah, on the mega dealer. Yeah. So, what's your favorite favorite Dostoevsky uh, book? Uh, Brotostrov. Whatever that's in English. Uh, I actually read it. Yeah, it's good. It's good, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 very good. It's yeah. very good. Uh, it was during my time at when I attended law school. Yeah. I don't know why it's called in English. I, 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 I know the title, but I can't remember it. But yeah. we'll we'll uh, we'll leave that. It's good. Mm. Listeners can uh, Google it if they don't yeah. understand Swedish. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> it, it raises dopamine levels and and gets them to engage afterwards. For sure. Uh-huh. Uh, 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 is there anything else we no, want? No, I just want to thank you so much for being here today. Uh, not in the studio, but via Squadcast, and uh, also thank you to all the listeners out there. And uh, if you don't follow us today on our social media platforms like uh, LinkedIn and um, all the others, please do. Yeah, and just finally, the the main reason we're doing this podcast is to continue to develop the discipline, uh, to continue to gather knowledge and and spread that knowledge around orchestrating mega deals and everything around that. So, Jimmy, thank you once again. I think that the the stuff you've shared is really, really valuable insights. Very good. Uh, For you listeners out there, um, if you have feedback, comments, or you want to share anything around this episode, please do send it in to us, as David said, via our website or our LinkedIn profiles. This is really about learning and developing the growth journey around um, uh, all aspects of mega deals. So um, thank you again, and um, till we meet soon again. Mm. Good luck with all the mega deals. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy, for sharing with us today your stories. And uh, I think it was great to get an example. I would almost say finally, a company like Society come far in how to take the digital and the physical tactics and merge them together into this new era. I think a lot of companies can learn from 
how you work in this way. And I uh, also want to thank you for sharing the part around risk and risk mitigation and to uh, underline the importance of, of those aspects. And to all of your listeners out there, you come far just by looking in how to fix things and lead people. So even if you started your career as a technician or an engineer or a salesperson or a police officer or a lawyer, you can actually become a mega dealer. So if you haven't already bought the book, you can buy it on megadeals.com, referring to the Megadeals book, of course. And you can also find it on Amazon and other places. And uh, please do come back to us with questions and comments and uh, give us some examples of uh, mega dealers out there that you would like to hear stories from. Have a great rest of your day. Bye now.